You pour your heart into your business, you give to your clients, and you take care of your family and your community. And you put off taking care of yourself. When you only focus on doing, you bottle up your emotions, which taxes your body and depletes your energy. You struggle to show up, to keep up, and to create results. My name is Dr. Mary Maduna Gross. About 10 years ago, I burned out of the only career I thought I'd ever have. I got divorced, and I was crushed with chronic illness and pain. Now I have a business that I love, a husband I can grow with, and my health is on track. Through the power of coaching, I have come to recognize the resilience and power I carry within my soul. You have this resilience and power as well. Welcome to Inflow with Soul, where we create the space for playful restoration. Space to pause, to play, and to connect with your soul. Because when you take care of you, your results will take care of themselves. Welcome everyone again to another episode of In Flow with Soul. My name is Dr. Mary Maduna Gross, and today we have Dr. Natalie Gentile. Am I saying that last name right? Gentilly. Gentilly. Thank you. All right. So yeah. Dr. <laughs> Dr. Gentilly is board certified in both family medicine and lifestyle medicine. And she is the proud wife of Amir and mama to son Luca and daughter Layla. So welcome, Natalie, to the, the conversation today. Thanks for having me, Mary. I'm really excited to be here. This is fun. So Natalie, tell us a little bit about your journey into medicine to begin with. Give us a little context about who you are and why medicine. So I've always thought that I would be a doctor. I really never knew any different. Um, so it wasn't really a matter of what will I be when I grow up, but we all have the different options of how we choose that path and how we end up getting there. Right. So I took what one would call the more traditional approach to becoming uh, an MD. I went straight from college uh, to pit med school, straight into residency at Mayo Clinic in Minnesota. And that's where I became a board certified family doc and also got my board certification in lifestyle medicine. So lifestyle medicine is a new term for me. Tell me a little bit about what that means. Yeah, it was a new term for me too. It was a field that was was in its infancy really um, by name okay. uh, around the time that I was a resident and going into uh, being an attending physician. So really it's a name for something that many people in medicine have been practicing since the beginning of time, which is how can we manage treat, reverse, prevent chronic diseases with our lifestyle. And that is your sleep, uh, avoiding risky substance behaviors, uh, good relationships and support in your world, how you're eating, how you're moving. And these pillars of lifestyle medicine are so integral to ways that we can manage chronic diseases that our country is being ravaged by, you know, our world is being ravaged by and the majority of chronic diseases, 80 plus percent can be related back to lifestyle habits. So this field of lifestyle medicine is the evidence-based uh, land for this study. Um, and, and that's why I chose to become a, a lifestyle medicine physician because that was already kind of how I was practicing medicine. And so now there was a name for it and that you know was really validating. Okay. Is it different or similar to functional medicine? That's a term I've heard before. They definitely overlap. Um, I would say they overlap a lot in definition in real world practice, I'd say they're 
they're quite different just from what I've seen. So lifestyle medicine, we tend not to focus heavily on supplements. Um, We don't tend to focus heavily on testing. Um, We tend to really focus on lifestyle intervention and optimization. Um, And so that is a way that I've, I've noticed just in the real world, how functional medicine is, has tends to be different, but where we do overlap is trying to get to root cause of disease and understanding um, how our bodies can heal themselves if we give them the right fuel and the right um, habits. That's fascinating to me to, again, because I, I have some assumptions about medicine that it really is uh, the place that you go when you're sick and you need some uh, an intervention to fix it. Uh, and what you're really talking about is more about prevention and how do we how do we even create healthy lifestyles to begin with so that we don't end up needing more of what I'm familiar with, right? The medicine that I'm familiar with. Exactly. And I, and we'll obviously get into this more later, but this I think is what is at the crux of our, our big problem in healthcare, uh, especially in our country, our front lines of medicine on you know, quote, front lines of medicine are primary care, but primary care right now is structured to treat when you're sick, right. urgent care, um, you know, putting band-aids on problems as opposed to preventing problems. And if we're truly on the front lines, we should be putting out fires, but we should also be trying to figure out why fires are starting in the first place and, and preventing them from happening. Yeah, absolutely. So how does this align with your own inner kind of mission, your purpose? Yeah. So my, um, the way I live my life day to day is the way I also practice in medicine and recommend things to patients. So I really, you know, one of the things that I've always, I guess, inherently thought or had going on was walking the walk, whether it was like back when I was playing softball and captain of the team, or whether it was, you know, in college when I was personal training or whatever it was that I was doing, in my short life so far has been, I've really always wanted to walk the walk too and be practicing what I preach. And so in my practice as a direct primary care doc who focuses a lot on lifestyle medicine, I I'm doing this whole model of care and this whole type of practicing because this is what I truly believe is the way that healthcare should be. Um, And this is how I truly live and raise my own family. So I'm imagining then that this personal mission that you have, this lifestyle medicine practice, um, did all of that kind of fit uh, add up to going out on your own? Or tell me about that part of your journey. Yeah, so I've had a cool journey. I, you know, as I said, I took the traditional route to become an MD and to, you know, graduate residency. But from then on, things have kind of just gone crazy. Um, so I was on staff for two years at Mayo doing just um, general primary care in an employed model. And it came about time for us to move back home to Pittsburgh. And so I was doing the job search. At that time, I was, you know, being offered jobs here by big health, the big health systems, as you can imagine. Yeah. And one of my mentors at Mayo, fortunately, who knows me well, had said, um, "I just don't envision that you're going to be able to do what you love to do with patients, which is be accessible, spend time with them, have continuity with them, practice lifestyle medicine if and when indicated, and and." how can you do that if you're just churning and burning through patients in the traditional employed model? Um, and I was like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And he said, let's, you know, I, I encourage you to check out direct primary care. And fortunately I did. 
Okay. And when I learned about this model of direct primary care, which is essentially a, a membership-based model practice that does not directly uh, involve insurance, the relationship is directly between the patient and the doctor. So it's the old school family wow, doc. Right. And that relationship has been so sorely broken and yes. bastardized in this country that it is no wonder that there's no trust in the medical system because you don't even know who you're trusting or talking to. Exactly. You can't even get to that person that you wanted to talk to. Right. Um, so I, I fortunately, when we moved back home to Pittsburgh, dove right in and started my own practice. Okay. And so how long has that been now? Coming up on two years next month. Okay. So there must be a lot of growth uh, in the in these past two years for you then professionally, just practicing as a physician as well as building a business then. Yeah. So there's been a lot of maturing uh, in the past couple of years from a lot of angles of being a business owner, being a physician, being a mom, a wife, a human, right. right? There's been a lot that's happened in the past two years too, externally. And so it's, it's the growth has been fascinating, I think. And that's probably the invigorating thing that kind of keeps me going every day is like just learning this whole learning process. Yeah, it is a lot. And when you add up, I mean, just with you in the last two years, moving, you know, right? Moving from, you're moving back home, but you're moving, you're setting up a new practice. You have a new career, Right, basically. Yes. Um, new babies. I mean, these babies. I don't know exactly how old they are, but they could yeah, have been little. Yeah, yeah. So you've yeah, got so that. You've got COVID. Really <laughs> COVID. Yeah. I mean, what the heck? When I I can I distinctly remember because we had our two year old Luca when we moved here to Pittsburgh in May of 2019. And in July of 2019, I gave birth to Layla. While I was in labor, I was writing up my patient contract to open my practice in oh my September 2019. That's a lot. So mm-hmm. how so how have you managed to stay grounded and focused through all of these challenges? So at times I haven't, you know, I mean, I've stayed grounded. I'd say I've stayed grounded and focused. I, sh- I should give some credit there, but it's not easy. There you <laughs> so go. So I've, I've managed to do it probably through self-compassion. Um, I th- I'd say is the biggest thing, just understanding and giving myself not in a, um, not in like a stroking your ego kind of way, but a, a just the kind of the pat on the butt, like it's going to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> kind of talk. Yeah. Yeah. That we're needed. And to have that self-compassion, like you're doing it, you're succeeding. You can do this, you can do this, you yeah. know? And, um, but what was interesting is, especially as a, as an entrepreneur, what I've come to in this almost two years is I really got the competitive side of me took over and the ego was being well taken care of for that whole time. Okay. And what I realized was I don't necessarily know if that aligns with what I want, you know, like just because it feels good to have a successful practice and it feels good to be recognized for what you do and like be growing, growing, growing and achieving, achieving, achieving. Is that really what is what matters? And so fortunately I started working with an executive coach um, recently in the past couple of months. And that to me has been a game changer. And really what the, I think what it really started out with as a game changer for me was identifying my core values. Yes. And once I identified my core values, it all kind of has started unfolding from there in the universe. Um, Because I think what can happen is, especially as a woman, especially as a woman entrepreneur, who's also raising, you know, raising a family with a spouse or a partner or whoever, or alone, right? You have these, I've got to prove it, right? I've got to prove it. 
And is that really what it's all about? Like, is that really, it can be part of what it's all about. Right. But it's not what it's all about. Right. (laughs) I like how you make that distinction. Mm -hmm. So you have this coach um, who's helping you stay grounded within your values. How do those values then translate into your day-to-day activities? So what I started to realize was I was working and more and more and more. And I know that the tipping point really happened when my, it was earlier this year when the COVID vaccine came out and I was running vaccine clinics and um, you know, I was working basically six out of seven days a week with my colleagues, just grassroots efforts. Right. And then the practice took off, you know, and it really took off and grew and grew and grew. And it's like, wow, these number of hours that I'm in clinic and away from my kids keep going up and up and up. You could have graphed them, you know, and right. it was this trend upwards. And I thought, well, this is interesting. Like I have two little ones, they're four and two now, and they're incredible, but I kept, but the message that kept eating away at me every day was you're not a good mom. You're not a good mom. And these people around me were saying like, what are you talking about? (laughs) You are a great mom. What are you talking about? And I, when I saw that incongruency, I thought this has to be explored further. And you know, why is that happening? And it's fascinating because I was raised by, uh, my dad's a physician and my mom is an executive. She's a nurse with an MBA who's always been an executive, who's always worked. And I remember my mom growing up. Okay. All the time. And she's my best friend now, you know? And so when we talk about, and I'm not, this is not a disservice to my dad. I'm talking about a female, you know, character in your life and what influence they have. So when I look back at the female in my life, who's most dominant, it's my mom. And I remember her, she was there. She's always been there. And she's like, Nat, I worked so much though. And I was like, but ma, when you were with me, it was always, you were with me. You were with me. Yeah. And what I was finding that I was telling this, you know, line to myself, you're not a good mom, you're not a good mom. I wasn't feeling present at home and with my kids. And so that's what I'm learning a lot with this, with this coaching is he said, you're a great human doing, but you're not being a great human being. Right. And you got to learn to be a being. And part of what I'm doing to, or how I'm being to be toward that is, um, cutting back on my work, you know, and just being home more. Right. Right. So now that you're cutting back on your work, what's the self-talk that you've got about your business and your business growing? Yeah. So what I've realized is my business has grown to a point where I'm at a really happy place. And so my practice itself, I've got enough patients that I feel financially comfortable, but to a point where I'm able to really take care of them and hunker down and give them what they deserve. Um, And so growth-wise, that doesn't necessarily need to happen. And what I've been able to do now is... I'm going to start being home more. And I'm also on a new path with a merger with another practice and building a, no, a new you know, empire in a sense that is very different from the day in and day out patient care of being a doctor. Right. It's the business building aspect of things. And that that's fun. That's I just like pure that. fun, right? Yeah, and, I see and, this. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's been cool to, to be able to re- direct that. And don't get me wrong. Like I have moments throughout every day where I'm like, but you got to grow, grow more patients. You got to people want to join your practice, right? You got to keep going. Right. Okay. But like, how can we take a step back and go back to those core values and start to be actually true to those goals as opposed to the ego, ego, ego? Yeah, exactly. So what, what do your goals look like now if they're not, I don't know, it sounds like maybe they, they're a little bit different than an ego-based goal. 
Is that yeah, so now it's really a matter of we're we want to build direct primary care in Pittsburgh as a whole and as a legitimate entity in Pittsburgh. And so that means helping other doctors realize that they don't have to be in the traditional model and helping them grow their practices and helping give them avenues of of safety um, from burnout and from dissatisfaction with their jobs. Okay. So what are some of the challenges that those physicians are facing that you can help them with by, you know, it sounds like you're more of a, a kind of like a mentor, right, to some of these other physicians. What are some of their challenges? Yeah, so it, I always thought it was interesting, um, and I do think it's very interesting that we have this concept of physician burnout, and we talk about physician well-being, physician burnout, and healthcare worker burnout, and the burnout, the way that it's treated in the traditional um, healthcare systems where you are employed as a doctor, for example, is you do like continuing medical education videos on burnout, okay. how to prevent it. And they're telling you like meditate more, you know, or like take a deep breath. And they're telling they're so there's so another thing you have to complete, right? right. Like you have to complete more this to physician do. burnout, yeah. right? More to do. Um, and the system isn't changing though. Right. So if the system is the problem, because if you're forced to churn patients through Boom, 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 boom. Someone's telling you how often you can see a patient, what you need to do, the core measures you need to, you know, criteria that you need to meet for each patient. Um, you need to bill them at the highest amount you can to make money and generate revenue. If that's what is causing your burnout, then we need to fix, again, it's back to fixing the underlying cause. That's if right. If we're not fixing the underlying cause, then we're not helping physician burnout. And it's no surprise that physician suicide rates are so high. And that that's even a, you know, a problem in the first place. And so my goal is to educate about that and call that out, okay. disrupt that system by calling it out because that's what they're experiencing and they don't realize that there are other ways. Yeah, right. Exactly. Now, I, I realize I'm not a physician and I'm not in that world, but when I, we started talking about this direct care model, I didn't it sounded very unique to me. And as I mentioned to you earlier, I've had some conversations about this since we talked last. And one of the, in fact, today I was talking with a, a coach who works with uh, physicians in a, a direct care model. And he says, oh, this, you know, this model is old as, again, it goes back to the original model of medicine, which was that uh, I'm, I'm almost ashamed to say this, but Little House on the Prairie, right? Yes, exactly. You know, the doctor who was the the um, the anchor of the community who did house calls when every when anyone needed anything, that was the person that they called. And so, on the one hand, it sounds like yeah, this has been our model of medicine, but we've been so far away from that for so long that that feels nostalgic. Like, oh, that's yes. back in the good old days kind of a thing, and, and it doesn't work here anymore. But you and others seem to now be, well, not now just now being able to find a way, but there is another way of practicing yes. medicine. So tell me about kind of what are the benefits for this model of medicine from the client side? So the direct access to your doctor and that doctor being the same doctor. So if, if, I think the best way is kind of to compare and contrast. So in a traditional model, you're usually being seen by a team. There's multiple, I'll use the word providers, even though I hate that word, but there's multiple providers on this team that if you need to be seen, you're usually assigned to one of those providers to see, and you may not know that person. So you might be retelling your story each time. Right. Um, and then, so it's, it's the uh, continuity with the same person. 
It's the access. So typically in a direct primary care practice, the patient can text, call, email um, their their doc. Okay. And so when you have that kind of access, uh, if you think of things like, man, I won't be able to get into my doctor for another week, three months, six months, mm-hmm. but I've got this issue right now. I'm just going to go to urgent care, right. and see some random person right. that doesn't know me or my history who, because they don't know my history, might prescribe me something that's not appropriate. I'm going to go home, not follow up with them because they're urgent care. Right. It's going to cost me a good amount of money that I went to urgent care. And then I'm still in the same boat because now I've got my issues still going on, but I can't get in and I don't really want to get in because I don't want to go. It's going to take, you know, it's a seven minute visit that had 30 minutes late. Yeah. I had to sit there in a waiting room and then it's over, you know, with, with little coming from it. So you to have the direct access that's quick same day next day appointments usually you know having that text call email we start to minimize the doctor googling the urgent care use the emergency department use as primary care okay um, which is currently being used heavily in this country yeah um, exactly so the other thing is having that continuity and access and affordability and transparency um, are so different. So in the general traditional healthcare model, you don't know how much stuff, how much things are going to cost, right. especially if you're running through your insurance. I mean, one person's bill versus another person's bill for the exact same things could be totally different numbers. Right. And so these arbitrary costs for healthcare are bankrupting people and, and, you know, households can't even afford health insurance for their, for their families. And, you know, employers can't in, in give insurance to their employees. So what we do in direct primary care is we help price shop a little bit. So when it comes to self-pay or what I call like at cost pricing for things like meds, imaging, labs, we have contracts with places that help us to provide those numbers, those discounted prices for things like like those items. And so then patients at least will know if they're paying, for example, self-pay for something, they'll know what they're paying. Right. And that's what they're paying. There's no like bells and whistles and hidden things. It's just what they're paying. Okay. So where does, so again, let's stay focused on that, that client experience then. Um, mm-hmm. I think again, part of the system that we've all been conditioned to be a part of is there's almost this belief that I shouldn't have to pay for my own medical care. Mm-hmm. And, you yes. know, th- there's a huge debate. We could get into a lot of that, but how do, is that a barrier at all for some clients who say, oh, you mean I have to pay for this myself? Meaning pay for the membership to the practice or, or the, like the imaging, right? Let's say I needed x-rays or a mammogram or something. So if they have insurance, they can use it for those things. Okay. Okay. I don't care what you use your insurance for. That's the thing. I just have patients that are uninsured. So I help them with that. Or I have patients who have high deductible plans where it's actually cheaper for them to self pay. Yeah. Um, And so, and a lot of times with meds, it's actually cheaper to get them generic self-pay as opposed to running through their insurance based on co-pays. So the reality is like, I've seen all of my patients benefit in some way from that discounted pricing and uh, price transparency, interestingly. Okay. So, so your patients are, yeah, your patients tend to have, may have insurance anyway, and can be used for some of these other supplemental services, maybe tests or whatever need to be run. Catastrophic events, emergency room visits yeah. or something that I can't handle. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Okay. So they, there's still insurance, but the basic day-to-day general primary care is on this membership fee. 
Yes. And as family, a lot of family docs end up going into direct primary care and internal medicine docs, but I can speak for family med, especially we have uh, a lot of experience with all ages, right? So we take care of, you know, we, we always say cradle to grave, right? We right. take care of every age. We do gynecology procedures, sexual health. A lot of us do trans health. We work with um, patients with disabilities. We can do immunizations, procedures. So you get a lot for being a member of the practice, okay? Um, which is which is really neat too, because I'll give it a couple examples. We've had, um, I have a patient who was sent to a general surgeon for lipoma removals. He ended up going to a hospital, having to you know go under anesthesia to have these lipomas removed because it caught it's a surgical fee they can charge. They can charge a facilities fee. Timing wise, nobody has time like that in the office. Well, right. I just had him come here for a one you know a one hour visit and remove ten lipomas off of his arm. Wow. No additional charge to him. He's a member of my practice and I know how to do procedures. I love procedures. Cool. Right. That's fun. You know, or like my patient who had a laceration, it was my birthday and mother's day, same day. And it was like 9 PM and he texts me and he had a, la- a laceration on his finger. He could have, he was uninsured. He could have gone to the emergency department. That would have been expensive. Right. I said, come to my office, sutured right up, you know, 10 minutes yeah. later, he's out the door. Right. How much better do you like practicing in this way? <laughs> So much better. Like I'll never, I could never go back. I used to, I loved the people that I worked with in my previous job. I, I dreaded going to work every day, not because of them, not because of the patients, but because of the, that, that like weight of the world feeling, knowing that I was at the end of the day, no, I wasn't able to practice medicine, how I wanted to practice medicine on the amount of time I wanted and needed with patients. Um, and I wanted to make change. And when you're in these big bureaucratic systems, making change is like snail's pace, if ever, right. You know, and, and you come up with new ideas or new things that you want to implement. It takes forever. Whereas if I want to do something today, I can implement it tomorrow. Right. Um, because I want it to work better. So I want to make this machine work better. I'm going to make the machine work better and do it right away. Wow. So I've got a, another question, but before I get to that, yeah. let t- this lifestyle medicine bit and the preventative bit, how in this model, how do you deliver those preventative sorts of, I don't know, what, what do you even say, therapies or treatments or recommendations? Yeah. So it, I, I always say I see every patient through the lens of lifestyle medicine. So whether they know it or not, I'm thinking about them, you know, in the, in with that uh, idea of how can we optimize lifestyle as well, regardless of what's going on. Okay. Um, I do have patients who come to me specifically for lifestyle medicine consultations. For example, like they might not be a member of the practice, but they have a history of high cholesterol and they feel like they haven't had an explanation to them about lifestyle habits and, you know, a a deep dive into their family history and things that have been tried. So I can help them with that specific issue. If they're members of my practice, you know, I have patients send me food logs. I have patients send me exercise logs, you know, sleep logs, that kind of thing. um, So that we're able to review those things together. Do you um, currently, or have you considered having like partnerships? I noticed that your nurse um, has some Reiki uh, training and does some, I'll say non-traditional, it sounds like, uh, therapeutic uh, services. Do you have partnerships with uh, other therapeutic partners? Um, not formal on paper partnerships, but like my most common prescriptions are massage, acupuncture, therapy, um, exercise and diet. Okay. Yeah. Those are my most common prescriptions for people. So, and, and I like to try out, you know, people in the community that I, that I refer them to. So that I, I, I've been here. I really like this place, but 
you know, I don't have any formal partnerships with um, any alternative uh, practitioners. I just, I, I do say to my patients, like try out places, you know, see, see what works for you and find relationships that work for you. Yeah. So you really do promote those alternative therapies Mm -hmm. and treatments that you may or may not practice your, I mean, uh, be able to deliver yourself. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so I, I just like to know of those things and offer them. And I'm, and I'm also always learning from my patients too, you know, things that they've tried and then I can pass that on to other patients. And I think communication is so huge and communication and authenticity. And so those I think are the biggest things that I do daily in my practice, whether that's like through my social media and how I present in the community or community engagement stuff I'm doing, or my emails that I send out to my patients and newsletters, like being authentic and having communication. Hey, this is something I don't know a lot about. This might be a person that could help you. Um, You know, this is what I'm doing lately and feeding our family, you know, try it out. Like being authentic and real, I think is how you build that trust. Absolutely. So the bigger question that I wanted to ask you is how disruptive is this model of direct care to the, the medical system? Um, if you are a, you know, someone in a suit up on the 32nd floor of the U.S. Steel Building, like uh, they probably think that we are an ant, you know, on the ground. Okay. Um, but it's extremely disruptive uh, because any any grassroots effort, which at this point is not even grassroots, it's across the country and being well established. Um, all it takes is that word of mouth yeah. for things to start spreading. Um, that's how people start to realize that they deserve something better as a patient and how docs deserve to realize that they deserve something better as a physician. And once you, once you have a taste of that, like that's very disruptive. Um, and we have the power doctors and patients to rebuild this relationship ourselves, despite those people that are trying to continue to break that down and corporatize and make medicine a business. Okay. So let's go to the patient or the client side for a minute yeah. here. Let's say there we've got listeners who are saying like, gosh, you know, I, this sounds like a model of medicine that I would, I would prefer to be seen this way versus yeah. not knowing who I'm seeing um, and not even going like I'm guilty of it. Going. Like I'm not even going to yes. go because I don't know who I'm going to see and I'm, I'm okay right now. Right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Totally. until something falls apart, then I, I'm, I'm not going to go. And, and I've experienced this. I have a chronic health condition that I really put off, put off, put off. And then when, when the crisis hit, I didn't have anyone who knew my story, knew how this was developing and was able to help me treat it. I mean, eventually yes. I found that. But that was an additional challenge that I had to face in the midst of yes. uh, a flare-up. And that was incredibly painful, incredibly challenging, not just physically, but also mentally, how depressed I felt um, and just like, holy God, like this is going to be my life for the rest. You know, I automatically went to, this is what it's going to be like for the rest of my life. And that's really not the time that I want to be making medical decisions necessarily. I want want a partner who's going to be able to guide me in this. So. For someone like me who um, is interested in this, what do, what do I look for when I'm Googling physicians? How do I find someone like you? Yeah. So a, an easy way is direct primary care, fill in the blank of your city. You know, okay. um, that's a good way to do it. There are also great websites, the direct primary care allowance, uh, allowance alliance. So DPC Alliance um, or DPC Frontier. These are great websites that have 
um, mappers that tell you where across the country there are DPC practices. And DPC comes, uh, the, the old saying is, once you've seen one DPC, you've seen one DPC. So every practice is so different. So like the, the, a pure DPC practice is going to be your membership based model practice. Okay. Um, there are practices that are quote hybrid, meaning that some of their patients use insurance and they bill toward insurance, like the doc bills insurance. And, and then some of their patients are cash pay. And so it's a hybrid mix. Um, and then some of them are corporate DPC practices. So they are owned by a larger corporation that has, you know, many, many sites of DPC that is more of like a standardized, um, it's a, it's a corporate model. It's just different. Yeah. So like a practice like mine would be considered a small, pure DPC practice. And so, okay. you know, I would encourage you to go Google what's in your city and just shop, have meet and greets. Most DPC practice have meet and greets. So like, you know, ways that you can come and just meet and see the person and see if it's a good fit. Okay. That's, that's really helpful. All right. So that's for the patient side of things. Mm-hmm. What about for other physicians who might be listening to this and feeling the burnout that we've talked about earlier and, and that, that squeeze between being able to practice and not being able to practice? Yeah. What would you, what would you advise to them? So um, my first thing it would be to like, give you a hug and say, I know it's scary because it is. Um, but there are direct care docs of all kinds of different specialties out there. Um, and so it doesn't mean that you have to be like a primary, it doesn't even have to be primary care of DPC. It could be direct endocrinology, cardiology. So these other types of specialties do exist. Um, it's scary. It can take overhead. It can take capital, you know, in an in initial startup fees, like, of course that can be, can be challenging. And I mean, that's one of the things that we aim to help with, with our, with my upcoming merger is to be able to um, help other docs by, them joining the practice so we can help with overhead and help with navigating all that. Right. Um, but I think the biggest message to give them is like, do your research and find the crew, find the DPC crew. We're here. It's a, across the country. It's DPC docs that help each other on a private Facebook page. And it seems silly and simple. And that's because it is, Yeah. it's a group of people like, you know, 800 plus strong that just help each other navigate through this. Um, and once you find that community and you realize like, oh, that's my people, that's right. Um, then you just got to follow that gut instinct. Yeah. All right. So before we leave that piece then on the business side of things, and again, let's say we're talking to those physicians who are like, yeah, maybe this is something that it's time for me to make this move on the business side of things. What would you suggest to them to kind of have in place before they make that leap? So one of the biggest things that we uh, see as physicians is student loan debt. Yes, right. Um, And so it's terrifying to like start your own practice knowing you're 200 grand in debt. Oh my gosh, you know? Um, So knowing your loan status, knowing where you are as far as paying those back, um, knowing where you are as far as retirement, because once you come out of an employed model, you're worried about all that, your own stuff, disability insurance, retirement accounts, you know? So doing your due diligence and taking that time, even if it means an extra year of being employed, but preparing for your DPC practice is very worthwhile. Right. Very worthwhile. Yeah. So I would say knowing, and, and everybody's different too. There are, there are DPC docs who are the, the sole breadwinners of their homes. So they're immediately going to start their practice and feel the pressure is on. Right. And that's okay. You are not alone. Right. Like, so I would say you are not alone because it's happening all over the country. And then there are docs like myself um, who have a spouse or a partner who 
has a, is an employed physician and has their job and has taken care of our family that way. So I've been able to build this as I wanted to build it. And then there's everyone in between. So, you know, I think just knowing, being very brutally honest with yourself, where you are financially, where you are, um, you know, comfort wise, finding the DPC community and then starting to, to tap into all the mentors that kind of fit your life, um, and fit, you know, have been through it already and can help guide you there. Okay. So take the time you need to get your finances in order and know kind of how a a change like this would impact your finances. So let's say that I've got everything in order. I'm ready to make that leap. Oftentimes the first challenge for any business is where do I find my clients? And, and before we go into that, I guess I had a conversation earlier today with a, um, a, a counselor who is working uh, independently, and I'll have, be having an episode with her coming up. And and in my conversation with her, she was talking about the value of being in uh, in network versus out of network, and that you know, with again the way the system is set up now, it's a yes. self perpetuating system, right? Yes. So oh, she's yeah. talking about all the values and the benefits of being this inpatient or in network, so that basically you don't have, referrals come to you. Whereas if you're out of network, you got to go out and find your own. So that to me is like the the next big question. Once I have my finances in order and I know what I'm getting into, where am I going to find the clients? It's that's so true. Like when you go into an employee, you're done with residency, your first big boy job, right? Big girl job. You're in a, in an employed position, the patient panel is already there. Yeah. Right. But when you go and start your own practice and it's all of a sudden, like you, every single email that you get of a patient being like, I'm interested in your practice, you get butterflies. Yes. And that feeling is addicting too, right? Cause you're like, I want to spread this. I want this to grow and grow. Yeah. Um, but it's, for me, it was a lot of word of mouth and basically hustling every waking moment of every day. Okay. Um, so like hustling in the sense of everyone I talked to, I talked to about the practice everywhere I went in the community, I set up engagements in the community so that I could talk about the practice, um, or indirectly about the practice, talk about my fields of expertise and plug the practice, you know, and, and then social media was huge. And then it was just word of mouth, like word of mouth, you hit almost just this breaking point in your patient growth where then it just kind of goes nuts. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But getting that, that, to that point. Initial. Yeah. It's very right? scary. It is scary. And and it's yeah. it's uphill and sometimes it feels like you can't see very far on either side of you. It's just oh but so hearing you talk about those strategies, those are very common in, in most of our businesses, right? So yes, anytime yes, you're totally. starting a business, you got to get out and talk to people about what you're doing, get them excited about it. And in this case, even um, educating people about it and the the what's in it for them, right? right? What is it that you can do for your patients that traditional medicine can't offer? You're exactly right. The education piece. And I saw that a lot in our city because it's highly uh, insurance-based city. So people really had no idea about direct primary care. And what you have to do is like, you're just constantly with a megaphone on top of a roof, you know, and that's how it felt. And that's how it still feels because I, you know, even with a successful practice now, now I'm, I'm going to, I've got my own successful practice. Now it's time to go help other docs have a self-successful practice. So we've got to like raise all these ships together That's right. and be the megaphone. That's mm-hmm. right. That's beautiful. Natalie, I've really appreciated our conversation today. 
Before we go, there's, there's, this is awesome. This is so exciting, uh, both for the physicians and for the patients that you serve. And it's really demanding. You, you talked earlier, um, about your path and, and really having to lean into self-compassion. Is there anything specifically that you do to remind yourself of, of taking care of yourself? Yes. Yeah, so for me, um, I have dealt when I was in, I'll, I'll go a little bit back when I was in med school, I remember walking down the hill, uh, next to scape hall at pit med and saying to myself, you aren't strong enough to make yourself throw up your own food. And that was a moment when I realized you have an eating disorder. So when I started going through therapy and help at that time for an eating disorder, I realized that that eating disorder was covering up an anxiety disorder. That was my way of dealing with sure. anxiety. And so once I took away that crutch, I dealt with an, you know, I realized I had anxiety and, and kind of dealt with that. And that fluctuated into time of like pre antepartum depression, which is a very under understood issue. We hear about postpartum depression, antepartum depression, and prenatal depression are real and very terrifying. And I dealt with that for two pregnancies. So there I have learned intimately over the past decade that my mental health needed help at times. And so I, you know, I had a medication on board, I got help, I went through therapy. More recently in the past six months or so, I was for the first time in 10 years able to not be medicated pharmaceutically for that. And what I realized instead was I had other medicines that were that were just as effective, if not more. And, you know, as a woman in her 30s, it's very different than a woman in her 20s, right? So I, I think maturity played into it, self-confidence and, and support systems. So for me now, my way to answer that question is... To, to take care of myself is knowing my medicines, which are exercise, exer like I have to exercise, I have to get proper sleep, um, and I have to feel solid in my relationships in my life with my family members and with my kids. And if those things are, they're not all going to be 100% perfect all the time, but if I can get them like 80, 90%, right. I'm golden. I can get through the other challenges. And so that self-care, whether it's therapy, exercise, like all of the things, meds, whatever you need for self-care to like be mentally stable and have mental health under control. That's so crucial. Like you cannot put value on that. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for sharing your strategies. I, I, I really enjoy hearing different people talk about it because I really believe that, you know, self-care is one of those things that's really thrown out a lot. Um, and oftentimes, I don't know, maybe again, it's just me, but think, well, self-care must mean I need to do these things. And if I'm not doing these things that so-and-so said is self-care, then I'm not doing self-care. And I prefer to take more of a, a general definition. Self-care is tuning into myself. What do I need in this moment? And giving myself permission to listen to that and then give myself what I need. Because oftentimes I think as a woman, we, we want to take care of everything and everyone else and just kind of skate along, you know, in the wake of things. And that's where the burnout happens. And I think the key to what you said was in this moment, what do I need in this moment? Because what I kept thinking is self-care is fluid. Yes. Self-care is fluid when you're in your twenties versus your fifties. Self-care is fluid day to day. Self-care is fluid based on the chapter you are in your life. You've got a newborn baby. Self-care ain't so easy right now, <laughs> right? you know, um, or whatever. You start a new business, whatever. Like self-care is going to have so many different faces um, and, and ways that it looks in your life. And it's fluid and it is not a one size fits all. And so that comes back to self-compassion, right? Yes. So like that self-compassion to do, to practice self-care in different ways and be okay with that. Right. 
Right. And of course, my experience with my clients and myself is as we get into that self-compassion, then there's that little voice that says, well, what about over here, this responsibility and that responsibility? And making, just acknowledging that, yeah, I have this thought, and then letting that go is also self-care and self-compassion. That they are okay. It's not my job to take care of everybody and make sure everybody is okay all of the time. Sometimes I got to take care of me. Yeah. So time and again, I see women, especially in their, I'd say late thirties into early fifties. It's that prime age range um, of they sometimes are caretakers for their own parents. They're caretakers of kids, teenagers, you know, age range. Um, They're caretakers of spouses, partners. They're, they have jobs, they have their own lives. Right. And in those, in that time, I notice consistently this theme of complete overextension of themselves yes. and not taking care of themselves because self-care is selfish. Right. And I, I unfortunately, and I always approach it like this. I'm going to challenge you for a second here. Okay. I'm going to challenge you. How well is that going for you right now? Right. You yeah. know, and when they say, well, not great. I've gained a lot of weight. My hair's falling out. I don't sleep well. I have no control over, you know, my appetite. I feel, I feel horrible. And I'm like, so this is selfish, right? Because you're not giving your world to other, you're not giving your beauty and light to others because it's been so dimmed. Yeah. So really it's actually selfish when we don't take care of ourselves to be able to help other people. Oh, thank you so much for flipping that script. That is powerful. Yeah. yeah Cause that, that self, that word selfish really sticks. Yes. And uh, we are selfish to not give ourselves what we can, right? Yes. If you can't share your light, that's what's the point of having a light? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's a perfect way to close this conversation. Natalie, before we leave, um, how can people get in touch with you if they have more questions? Maybe they want to grow their practice. Absolutely. Yeah. So find me on social media uh, at Gentilly Family DPC, uh, the same in my practice or finding Natalie Gentilly on social media and just please reach out like be happy to touch base with anybody. Yeah, that is wonderful. I, I appreciate your generosity of sharing your input and your time with us today. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Same. Thank you so much, Mary. Absolutely. Hi, this is Mary. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope that you are coming away feeling maybe a little inspired, maybe a little more informed, or maybe just rested. Most of all, I hope you're coming away feeling empowered. If you do, please leave me a five-star review on iTunes. But most importantly, please pass along this sense of empowerment to your friends and to your networks. Thank you so much for your support. I appreciate you.